This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So this really is the second uh, second class, second lecture, second shir in the series. Um, let me begin with a very quick word of introduction. In the past 15 years, I've dealt with hundreds and hundreds of couples. And invariably, I've found that they do things that are so foolish. And in fact, the reason why I titled this book the 10 really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make is because very often it's the same dumb mistakes. Now that doesn't mean the person's dumb, the person can be brilliant, but we all get caught up in things and we all get trapped in our own way of thinking and the result is that, uh, that we do dumb things. So that's the purpose of this book. We're going to go through a few of the things tonight, not many, we'll go through a few more. And just a very quick... Um, just a very quick, from last week, an introduction. We discussed last week the fact that love is the glue of marriage. No matter how aligned you are in principles, no matter how much you want the same things in life, if there isn't a powerful bond of love in your marriage, you are going to be very distant, and it's going to be very, very difficult for you to be happy. Tonight, I'd like to explore that a little bit more deeply and see if we can understand a little bit more what Chazal to share with us on this topic. So let's begin with the following. Hashem creates Adam Rishon, puts him in Gan Eden, and then says a very interesting thing. Hashem, Hashem says, Lo Adam Levado, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make for him a helpmate opposite him. Now Rosalman Sarotskin explains when the Pasuk says Lo Adam Levado, it means it's not good for man. Man cannot accomplish his mission, man cannot accomplish what he was put here for. We were created in this world to grow, to accomplish, to be as dome to Hashem, as similar to Hashem as possible. Hashem is the ultimate mate, the ultimate giver. We're put here to grow, to change the essence of me, to become other-centered, to learn to be a giver. Lo tove yosodam means if a man is alone, he can't give. He needs a spouse in that environment, then it's good, then he can grow. But listen to the end of the Pasuk. I'm going to make a helpmate opposite. And Rashi says, what does this mean? If he's Zohar, then she'll be an Ezer, she'll be a helpmate. If he's not Zohar, she'll be opposite him, to fight. And with those words, Rashi defines marriage. Either the closest relationship in existence or bitter warfare. Either your best friends who love each other or your bitter enemies. And that's how Rashi defines a Pasuk. Ezer Kinegdo. Either if you're Zohar, if you're Merit, then one unit. If you're not Zohar, then Kinegdo opposite him, Lilochim, to fight. Now here's the problem. Where did Rashi get that from? What the Pasuk says is, I'll make a helpmate opposite him. Yet Rashi says what that means is, if he merits, they'll be beautiful, she'll be a helpmate. If not, it's going to be war. Where does Rashi get that from in the Pasuk? And the morale explains just from the Pasuk itself where Rashi gets it from. You see, the word kinegdo means opposite. Hashem says, I'm going to make a helpmate opposite, but opposite has two meanings. Opposite can mean facing. The Jewish nation faced opposite the mountain, meaning facing. And opposite can mean antithesis, the opposite. Explains morale, that's exactly where Rashi gets this from. Every relationship that you'll have in this world is hierarchical. There's a boss and an employee, a father and a son, a leader and a follower. 
in any of those environments, in any of those relationships, there's someone in charge. But that's not marriage. Equal partners. Kinegdo means she's opposite him. They're on the same level. They're equal partners in this thing called marriage. But they're also opposite. Opposite means they're opposite in nature. Explains the morale. It's both meanings that Rashi gets it from. Because they're so opposite in nature and they're on the same level, that's why it's either going to be beautiful or it's going to be horrible. Because they're opposite in nature, they're going to have different ways of doing things, different approaches, different ways that they look at things. And if one were in charge, I'm the boss, we do things my way. But there's no boss, no carte blanche, no one has veto power, equal partners and opposite in nature. And therefore, explains Rashi, if they win this battle and they create a perfect marriage, it'll be beautiful, it'll be the most exquisite relationship. If not, Lilochim, they're going to be at war. But just to understand what Rashi's saying, I want to play the opposite game for a minute. I'm going to say a word, and I want you to say the opposite of it. If I say the word black, the opposite is in, down, male, as in opposite, diametrically opposed, completely, totally different. Men and women are so vastly different in temperament, in nature, in outlook. The only thing that men and women share together is one facet. It's called selective amnesia. They each forget how different they are. Everyone knows that children are different. Boys and girls are different. Everyone knows that. And everyone understands that until they get married, and then they expect their spouse to act just like them. And ladies and gentlemen, I have to share with you, this is the most profound thing I've seen over and over. A woman or a man will say something like this, we're so different. I mean, I'm a risk taker, and he's risk averse. Uh, I'm I'm introverted, he's extroverted. Uh, I'm I'm neat, he's sloppy. We're, We're just so different. I'd like to share with you, find me any difference in the world. Take the Brig Inventory of Personality Test and find me the 16 differences. I guarantee that all of them pale in comparison to one difference. You are so different from your spouse in one thing that's bigger than everything else, and that is that you're of opposite gender. Different temperaments, different natures, different approaches, different things you enjoy, different things. And when you understand that, you understand what this Rashi is saying. The only way to succeed at marriage is to learn to climb in to the emotional world of your spouse, to learn what matters to them, to create a bond of love, and to live together in peace and harmony. Because if you do not, you're going to be at war. Because again, you're equal and very, very different. Okay. Now, with that as an introduction, what I'd like to share with you is a formula for a successful marriage. If you would like to be successfully married, most of us are married here. Okay, most of us are married. If you would like to be successfully married, the Rambam gives us a formula. And this formula, he says, is guaranteed to succeed. If you follow this formula, you'll have a beautiful marriage. He says as follows. The husband has a role, and the wife has a role. Husband's role, says the Rambam, He should honor his wife more than himself, the Ohava Kugufo, and love her as he does himself. Two things. Treat her with more respect, more regard, more honor than he does himself, and love her as himself. Good. The woman has a role too. She has to be machabed as baila yosemidai. She has to treat her husband with exceeding amounts of respect and honor. Now let's analyze this Rambam because I think it shares with us a tremendous yesod. Not just how to live life 
and not just how to be married successfully, but understanding what a man needs and what a woman needs. So let's begin with the following observation. The Rambam sounds a little off-balanced over here. He has two jobs, and she has one, right? He has to treat her with more respect than himself and love her as he does himself. She only has to do one thing, treat her husband with exceeding amounts of respect. Two to one. But not just that, but I'm the love in the marriage. We, have, we spent the whole first year explaining that if there isn't a bond of love, if there isn't a real attachment, you guys are going to be distant, you're going to be apart, and very shortly there's going to be strife, quibbling, quibbling, fighting, back and forth. The glue to a marriage is the bond of love. And in the first year, and I want to repeat this point, Hollywood got it 100% correct. Backwards. In the world of Hollywood, we fall in love, we get married. We fall out of love, we get unmarried. Love comes, love goes, it's a mystery, but that's the esode. From a Torah perspective, love has nothing to do with the decision to marry this person. I marry this person because I believe that Hashem determined that this is the right one for me. In that determination, love has nothing to do with it. But once you get married, if you don't build a bond of love, if you don't nurture that bond, if you don't really work on it and develop it, very shortly you're going to be so distant and so apart that you're going to be in very, very difficult straits. And bond of love is the glue to a marriage. Now we discussed one aspect of that romantic love, which is one of the tools. There are many tools. It's not the goal, but romantic love is very important. That includes going out, includes the love notes and the gifts and all the things that a couple in love is supposed to do, but it's not the goal. Would you like to know what the goal is? Watch an older couple. Watch a couple in their 80s and see the devotion, the dedication. Long gone is the passion. Long gone is all of the attraction and everything that got them there. Those are tools. Now, in the book, I spend a lot of time on explaining what the tools are, but those are tools that get you, tools that bond, tools that get you to the attachment. Would you like to know what love is? There's a man I know very well who would visit his wife in the old age home. Every day he would go there, and every day he spent the day in her room. But here was the sad part. She had dementia. And she no longer knew who he was. He would daven in the morning, leave davening, go to the old age home, sit in her room all day, do nothing but sit there all day. And finally someone said to him, I don't understand. She doesn't even know who you are. She doesn't recognize you. Why do you sit there all day? He said these words, my whole life she was there for me. My whole life she took care of me. How can I not be there for her when she needs it? For five years, every day, all day, he went to the old age home, sat in that room, did what he could to help her, even though she no longer recognized him at all. That's love. But that love doesn't just happen. That's not he looked in her eyes and, whoo! Romantic love is important. Attraction is important. Those are tools, tools that bond. The ultimate goal is love, attachment, a real deep concern for the other person. But again, here's the problem with the Rambam. The Rambam told us that he has two jobs. He has to treat her with more respect than himself and love her as he does himself. But she doesn't have to love him. All she has to do is treat him with exceeding amount of respect. What happened to love from the woman's side? So to answer this question, I'd like to share with you an observation about human beings. When my daughter was, uh, when my oldest daughter was in, a senior in high school, 
one Shabbos we were talking, and she said uh, that day two of her friends didn't come to school. I said, why not? She said, well, they were up late last night having a DMC, and uh, they didn't come to school. Now, I didn't know what a DMC was, but it didn't sound too good. So I said, what's a DMC? She said, come on, I'll be, you know, a deep, meaningful conversation. They're on the phone talking and sharing all night, and it got so late that they just uh, they slept. They didn't go to school the next day. I taught boys high school for 15 years. Not once, not once did I see guys sharing in their inner world, explaining where they're at, sharing their, their secrets. Not once. If you'd like to understand one of the differences between men and women, women crave relationships. Women have friendships that are deep, and they pride themselves on those friendships. From the time a girl is six years old, ask her this question, who's your best friend? And she'll tell you who her best friend is, and chas v'sholem, that best friend reveals a secret, and it's Oy's best friend. I remember one of my daughters, I have four daughters, can I <clears throat> One of my daughters was in eighth grade, and she was on the couch on this side, and her friend was on the couch on the other side, another girl from a class. And they were talking, I thought they were lovers, they were like, ah, sharing and bonding. You don't see that by guys. I was, I remember this very clearly, I was in <clears throat> Blotshire, I said to Rabbi Harris, I'm Harris, another shiva here in, in Kewan Hills, I said to him, you know, I don't have a best friend in yeshiva. I have a lot of buddies, a lot of guys I've learned with, a lot of guys I talk to, but I don't have a best friend. And I feel I just don't have a best friend. And Harris looked at me and said, who does? Who does? Now, guys have buddies. They have friends, people they talk to, people they spend time with. But the idea of a deep friendship, a deep connection, by the way, ladies, when was the last time you spoke to your best friend? Today, right? The latest that might have been uh, like this morning, right? Um, gentlemen, when was the last time you spoke to your best friend? I'm sorry? I have a good friend of mine. I learned five years of with Rabbi Chaim Leiter. And I don't speak to him for five years. And I'll call him, hey, how are you doing? Good. For five, how could it be? How could you, my wife said, how could you be friends with him? You haven't spoken to him in five years. The answer is men and women are different. Women have these connections and they share. And by the way, what happens when something happens to your wife? Something at work, right? A boss said this or a co-worker said that. What's the first thing she does? She calls a friend and tells a story. Calls another friend, tells a story again. Calls another friend, tells it five times. Five times. Five different women she'll call and tell the story again and again and again. In my life... In my life, I've never done that. Never once. But why is that? Because women crave friendships. They have friendships. It's a big part of their world. And this is one of the key distinctions between men and women. Here we go. When does a young woman start thinking about her marriage? When? Bas mitzvah. mitzvah. Seven, eight, for sure by 13. By 13, a young woman has a very good understanding of what her marriage is going to be like. When does a young man start thinking about his marriage? I'm sorry? When does a young man start thinking about his marriage? Five years after the chuppah. <laughs> but why? Because women crave the relationship. They need the relationship. They feel a tremendous thing. I believe that's shot in the Rambam. Do you know what the Rambam is saying? Gentlemen, do your job. If you treat your wife with more respect than you respect yourself, if you love her as you do yourself, her needs will be met, and it's instinctive. It's natural for her to love you. She craves the relationship. She needs the relationship. It's given. A husband needs a command. 
Chazal had to command a man to love his wife. Why? Because it doesn't come as easily to men. My friends, I cannot tell you how many times I've been there. A couple come in, and I'll say to the guy, How's your marriage? Good, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem. I'll say to the woman, How's your marriage? It's terrible, it's horrible. Wait, like, are you guys married, like, to each other? How could that be? And the answer is, I've seen this over and over. A man is happily married and devoted to his wife. But guess what? She's not happily married. But you know why? Because a woman needs to know that she's loved. She needs to know that she's cherished. The Stiplegon says it's at the essence of her being. If a woman doesn't know that her husband loves her, it's close to pikoch nefesh, it's close to murdering her. She needs that love, she needs that cherishing, and if she doesn't have it, it's close to pikoch nefesh. Now, anyone here insecure? No one's being honest. No one's being honest. Every woman, every woman is insecure about her husband's love, at least in the beginning of the marriage. The beginning of the marriage means the first 30 or 40 years. <laughs> After that, it's sometimes not as rocky. But every woman is deeply insecure about her husband's love. And gentlemen, if you are smart and you would like to be happy, I don't want to repeat, but I said this last week. Would you like to be happy? Go like, no? Yes. Say no. Say, you don't want to be happy? Say no, I don't want to be happy. Okay. You don't, you don't want to be happy? No? You're single, right? Do you want to be happy? Good, good. I'm glad we're connecting over here. A happy wife is a happy life. Write that down. But how do you make her happy? One simply is sold. If she knows that she's cherished, if she knows that she's loved, she'll be happy. And as the Rambam explained, she doesn't need a commandment then to love her husband. If her needs are met, it's instinctive, it's natural. She craves a relationship. She wants a relationship. She'll naturally love her husband. She doesn't need a command. But she does need a different directive, and that is treat him with an exceeding amount of honor. And we'll get to that one shortly. But again, I've been there time after time where the woman is miserable in the marriage and asks the guy, and it's fine. So gentlemen, if you would like to be happily married, remember this and remember this and hazard over a thousand times. It is a husband's obligation to romance his wife. It's a husband's obligation to plan the date. It's a husband's obligation to buy the gifts and the cards and the notes and the, all the things that your wife needs. But you have to know what she needs. And you have to study what she appreciates. And when she says, I don't like flowers, listen once, twice. If she says it a dozen times, she might actually be saying the truth. Maybe. My wife doesn't like flowers. I don't buy her flowers. She doesn't like them. But I guarantee there are things your wife likes. And you better discover them. You better understand them. And if you would like to be happy in life, you have to understand your obligation is to let your wife know again and again that she is cherished, that she's number one. If she knows that simply is so, she will be happy. And again, if you think she's secure in it, forget about it. She's hyper insecure. And if you don't remind her again and again, but I told you, I told you 10 years ago, I told you under the hope, I love you. What else? What, what else? Try that one. See how far it gets you. You know, the fellow says, uh, Grandpa, what's the secret to your success? Well, I told her I married. When I married, I told her I love her. And if I ever change my mind, I'll um, I'll tell her otherwise. Right? Um, yeah. Don't try it at home, folks. Don't try it at home. It doesn't work. But this is the assault. A husband needs to get that message to his wife 
over and over and over. But before we go blaming it all on the guys, there's some things that the women have to focus on also. I had a couple, and she said to me these words, as soon as the kids grow up, I'm divorcing him. I had it with him. He does nothing, nothing for me. And I was a little curious because they lived in a beautiful home. They drove very, very nice cars, had a bunch of kids, all in yeshiva. In fact, some of them were married in Kolel. And she says, he does nothing for me. So I said to her, Madam, let me ask you, I know you have a bunch of kids, nice house, beautiful cars. Tell me, what do you think uh, the schar lima, the tuition that your husband pays for this, you know, this tuition and the kolel, how much do you think it is? She never clue. So I helped her do the math. Between the amount of kids she had in school and the kolel couples, I figured it was $100,000 a year. That's after taxes. That means the man was paying $100,000 a year after taxes for his kids to get a Torah education. Then I said to his father, Madam, let me ask you this. Mustama, your husband has a huge Yerusha, right? His father left him $100 million. I said, no, he did it all from scratch. Oh, you mean he works for a living? What does he do? He has a business. Oh, well, I'm sure he takes off plays golf a couple of afternoons a week. No, he doesn't take off any time at all. Well, I'm sure he takes a three-hour lunch. No, he eats a bag lunch at his desk. I said, Madam, don't you get it? Your husband is slaving away for one reason, for you, for your family, and you say he does nothing for you. I know many men who would take a bullet for their wife, and the wife doesn't know it. Now, let's not make any mistake. He's not doing his job. His job is to let his wife know that she's cherished, that she's number one, and she has to be told that again and again and again. And that's his fallacy. That's the mistake he's making. But her mistake is not appreciating what, in fact, he's doing for her. And if you look around, the amount that a husband does for a wife, the amount the wife does for a husband, is beyond description. By the way, a number of years ago, I did a what I call a marriage transformation boot camp. I had 50 couples, it was on Zoom, and these were all, excuse me, all couples who were having a lot of trouble in their marriage. They were married at least 10 years or more, and every one of them was pretty rocky. And at a certain point, I was maybe up to sheer number two or three, I forgot what I was up to, and I was starting to get like, oh my goodness, the complaints and the barrage of my husband, my wife, my husband, my wife, oh my goodness. I said, that's it. I reached out to a singles group, and I asked for volunteers. I asked them to please record for me what it's like to be a single, an older single in the firm community. What it's like when you're 30, when you're 40, and every yumptive is Gehenim. You don't know where to put yourself. When your younger cousins get married, when your sister has kid after kid, and you're still single, I want you to describe it. And I had them describe it, and I played the tape for these couples. Because the Stipe Lagoon tells us that if you'd like to learn to appreciate your spouse, all you have to do is ask yourself, what would my life be like if I didn't have a spouse? If you are a man, write down the amount of things that your wife does for you. By the way, if you're a man and you want to keep judgment, you better bring a, a thick pad, a thick pad of paper, because the amount of things that a wife does for a husband are beyond belief. But ladies, the same goes for you. You have to appreciate what your husband does to you. Okay, he didn't meet all your emotional needs. He doesn't tell you that he cherishes you. He doesn't say that he loves you. He doesn't buy the gifts. I get it. He's not doing his job, but he's still doing an awful lot. 
and if he works for a living, and he makes sure that you're taking care of him more than that. If you know factually that he would take a bullet for you, he would do anything for you. And I can't tell you how many guys are so devoted to their wife. They would do anything for them, and the wife says, ah, he doesn't do a thing for me. I'll divorce him as soon as the kids grow up. So I think there's a tremendous thing that both sides have to know. Number one, gentlemen, it's your job to romance your wife. It's your job to make sure that she is emotionally happy. Ladies, it's your job to remember that he's not the same as you. And he doesn't need the relationship in the same way. He has to work on it, and you have to help him cultivate it. But at the end of the day, he probably doesn't need it the same way, doesn't express it the same way, and you have to recognize that. Okay, ready? Here we go. What is the single most important ingredient in a successful relationship? What is the single most important ingredient in a successful relationship? Emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence, okay, good. Effective communication, everything all in one. Ooh, that's a big statement over there. Communication, effective. Ladies, what is the single most important ingredient in a relationship? I'm sorry? I can't hear you. Compromise. Compromise. Compromise is certainly very good. For a relationship to work, respect. Okay, um, I'm not getting the, at least I got some communication. Giving. Giving, giving for sure. But ladies, what's the most important ingredient in a successful relationship? Communicating. Thank you. Communication, right? Commu- everybody said, right? <laughs> Ask anybody, what's the most important ingredient in a successful relationship? Communication. Ask any woman that is, and almost any woman that you'll ask, what is the most important ingredient in a successful relationship? They'll say communication. Almost not a single guy says that. Now, how do I know this to be true? Besides the fact that I've asked this question to hundreds and hundreds of people, Ted Houston is a psychologist at the University of Texas, and he studied 264 couples in depth. And he asked them this question. What is the key ingredient for a successful relationship? Almost all of the women said communication. Almost none of the men said that. In fact, one psychologist, Lily Rubin, tells the following. She was discussing and talking to a husband separately from the wife and the wife afterwards. And she, she asked the husband the following. What's the best part of your relationship? And the husband said something like, well... We could be sitting there on the couch, maybe holding hands, uh, reading, but we don't have to always jabber and talk. We could just be together. Very nice. Later, she spoke to the wife and asked to describe the best part of the relationship. Wife described it. And then the wife says, you know, there'll be times when we'll be sitting on the couch. He'll just sit there. He won't say a word. I want to hit him over the head with a bat. He just sits there. He doesn't talk. What's wrong with the guy? The single biggest complaint that women come to marriage counselors with is we never talk. The single biggest complaint that men come to marriage counselors with is all we do is talk, talk, talk. Now somebody's got it wrong. Either we're only talking, 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 or we're never talking. What is pshat? Emotional intelligence. That was a a rhetorical question. You got the good answer on the first one, but okay. I'm going to tell you the pshat on on the rhetorical question. Here we go. If you would like to know what pshat is, Go to a Kiddush on Shabbos morning. You'll see the men on this side of Mechitza and the women on this side of Mechitza. And listen to the conversations. And this is what it sounds like. I don't know here if it's divided, but suddenly in a big shul you'll see it. On the women's side, the conversation sounds something like this. Oh. 
Oh, great talking to you. Okay, that's the woman's side. Let's look at the men's side. Conversation sounds like this. Great talking to you. You ever notice women make listening noises? Oh, ooh, ah, wow, real, oh. Guys never do that. Why is it? Why do women go through, you need a lexicon, you need a dictionary. Ooh, ah, oh, ah, e, oh, oh, ooh, ah. Why do women do that? Deborah Tannen is a social linguist. She wrote a number of books studying men and women in conversation. And she explains that men and women talk for totally different reasons, about totally different topics, with totally different goals in mind. Women typically talk to connect, to bond, to share. Guys talk to share information, to tell ideas. Maybe it's in learning, maybe it's politics. But you ever notice when women tell the same story to five friends, why do they do that? Because they're bringing their friend into their world and bringing themselves into their friend's world. They're joining, they're connecting, they're bonding. And this is the sixth of the ten really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make. They don't remember that men and women use talk in totally different ways. Men talk to share ideas. Women talk to share, to connect. And gentlemen, this one's on you. If you'd like to be happily married, let's go back. Happily married? Want to be, want to be happily married? Not, not are you. You, I'm sure you are. But younger, we want to be happily married. You have to learn to talk to your wife. You have to learn to listen to your wife. You have to learn that she has a need to talk, to connect, to bond. We're not having sound. See, we're not even talking. See, there's a problem with men. We can't even talk. We can't even talk at any time. But if you're not going to learn to bond, to connect, to speak to your wife and listen to her, you're going to find it very difficult for your wife to be happy. You see, gentlemen can be happy doing things together. By the way, when you go out with a friend of yours Sunday, a guy friend, what do you do? Guys usually do things together, and that's how they bond, that's how they connect. And I can't tell you how many times couples say things like, the guy says, all I want to do is go out with her and spend time with her. I want to spend time with her, and all she wants to do is talk. But you have to understand why. Because women bond through talking. That's how they connect. Communication is essential. And both parties have to understand that. The men have to understand that. And the women have to understand that. Gentlemen, if you want to be happily married, you have to meet the needs of your wife. You have to talk. The Chazanish says, you have to explain when you leave and when you come back. You have to talk. You have to share. And you have to listen. Ladies, you also have to recognize that your husband is not going to have the same tolerance for talk as you do. Keep your girlfriends. Keep your girlfriends. You tell them all the story. Save the main stuff for your husband. But you have to remember, he doesn't have the same tolerance that you do, and he's not going to have the same bandwidth for hearing conversation. But understanding this yisod, that men and women talk about different things for different reasons, is a big yisod. By the way, an aside, David, are you still with me? You may honest? Yeah? Okay. I was a high school Rebbe for 15 years. And I had the strangest experience. The guys would come to me with questions, life questions. And I gave them answers, advice, answers. And guys left very happy. 20 years later, guys would say, Rabbi Schaefer, the advice you gave me in high school, I use this still today. Thank you so much. So I thought I was okay, you know, giving advice. And then when I'd come home... Anytime my wife asked me for advice, she was never happy. It was like my IQ dropped 80 points. As soon as I crossed the threshold, I went, you know, and came dumb. And it took me 10 years, 
10 years of marriage it took me to understand why. And what's the answer? Because she wasn't asking me for advice. She wanted to share her world. She wanted to connect. She wanted a bond. And the ability to listen and be there with your wife is a big yesod. But again, ladies, keep in mind, he doesn't have the same bandwidth, doesn't have the same tolerance. So you have to remember, you see there are two sides to a marriage, a husband's side and a wife's side. And as long as you each remember that you're different, and as long as you each remember that you each have needs, you can be happily married. Okay, but let's move on. Um, by the way, that was mistake number six, but okay, here we go. I want to share with you an interesting story, and this story actually happened. A fella is married about six months, a young guy, and at 6.30 at night he comes home to his apartment. As he's about to put the key into his apartment, he says to himself, wow, Baruch Hashem, I married such an intelligent girl, and she's grounded and smart. Ah, Chazdeh Hashem. Puts the keys in the door, opens the door, and there he sees his wife up on the chair. What's the matter? What? What? There, there, what? There, what? A, a cockroach! What? A cockroach! So he goes over the cockroach. Uh, you can come down now, grounded. Okay, he doesn't say anything. Two weeks later, he's in the base medrash. She's in Kolo. He doesn't bring a telephone into the base medrash because he's a big masmid. One of his friends brings over a phone and says, Listen, David, I don't know, your wife's on the phone. It sounds very serious. Picks up the phone. What is it? David, what, what, what? Please come home. Why? What, what, what's the matter? Please come home. Why? What, what, what? There, there are two of them. Come home, please. I don't believe it. She wants me to stop learning. She wants me to close the Gemara to come home to kill two stupid bugs. He starts fuming. He gets in his car, drives home, steam coming out of his ear. And puts the keys into the door, opens the door, there she is. Where are they? I hope you're satisfied. Turns around, walks right back to the basement entrance. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, who was right? Who was right? Was she right? After all, she was terrified, she was scared, and she called her husband home to save her. Was he right? After all, two stupid bugs, I should stop learning to kill stupid... Who was right? So the answer is, the question is wrong. Who was right is an excellent question to ask in a court of law. Maybe a divorce court. But who was right is a lousy question to ask in a marriage. A far more beneficial question to ask is, what was going on? Now... As I mentioned, I have four daughters, Baruch Hashem, and two sons. I don't know why it is, but all my girls are terrified of bugs, and the boys aren't. In fact, when the girls were little, they would call on their baby brother if a bug was in the room. They just have to make sure he didn't eat the bug, but he got rid of the bugs. Okay, I don't know why it is, but girls are afraid of bugs, guys aren't. Okay, whatever the case, she right now is terrified. She's feeling tremendous fear, and she says to herself, Baruch Hashem, I'm married, I don't have to worry about these creatures anymore. And she calls on her husband to save her. His mistake was not climbing into her emotional world. You see, if we wanted to make it a parallel case, let's imagine that um, he was home and not her. And let's imagine it wasn't two cockroaches, but it was uh, two German shepherds. Would he be up on the chair? Uh-uh, he'd be out the fire escape down the block because German shepherds are scary, cockroaches aren't. And the mistake that both of them made is 
They judge their spouse based on their experience. When my experience defines reality, I can't relate to my spouse. Gentlemen, how many times have you said the words, there's nothing to be scared of? There's nothing to be afraid of? Anyone? Uh, I drive. I drive. I got redeemed two Shabbats ago. Two, two Shabbats ago, I got redeemed. My son-in-law said to my daughter, you know, you do that gas thing when you're driving. I said, what? He said, yeah, you know, she does the gas thing when I'm driving. But I said, oh, that's where mommy gets it from. We're married 35 years. I love my wife. She's great. But to this day, I don't drive. Why? Because anytime, and I drive slow, and I'm cautious. I'm not 18 anymore. I drive below the speed limit. My kids make fun of the way I drive. But regardless of what happens, my wife, hey, watch out, watch out, watch out. Why does she do that? I don't know why, because that's her nature. That's the way she is. And women are more afraid, but this is the point. If you're not able to climb out of your own experience and recognize that my experience doesn't define reality, it's very difficult to be happily married. You see, each has to be able to do that. He has to be able to climb into her reality, and she has to be able to climb into his reality. He has to be able to say, bugs are not scary to me, but guess what? To her they are. And she has to be able to say, I get it. It's not that he's a cruel creep and callous. It's just that to him, bugs aren't scary. When you each understand each other, you can have a successful marriage. But if your experience defines reality and you remain locked into that world, then it's impossible for you to understand your spouse and you remain miserable throughout your existence. And by the way, you want to hear a cute little observation here? Again, Baruch Hashem, 35 years, and I, I, my, I love my wife, she's not here to argue the point. To this day, I'm amazed by the following situation. Shabbos morning, I typically get up early, the house is quiet, that's when I learn. And later on, some point in the later morning, I'll bring my wife a coffee. And to this day, as I'm preparing the coffee, I have to stop. Because I want to take the creamer out. And everyone knows that coffee just tastes much better with thick creamer or at least 4% milk. The problem is my wife likes her coffee with skim milk. And to this day, I... Uh, but I know it tastes so much better with creamer. I, I feel... I want to give her a good cup of coffee. And the simple reality that that which I experience is my experience but isn't her experience eludes me to this day and I have to stop and make sure I give her the skin milk and not the one that tastes really good. My friends, this is one of the great principles of a successful marriage. Have you ever had, ladies, this one's on your side, have you ever had a moment where you said, oh, what's wrong with this guy? Why is he doing that? Okay, if you've ever had that moment, I'd like to share with you the two most important words in a marriage. Anyone know what they are? What are the two most important words in marriage? I'm sorry. Sorry, good words to know. I don't think they're most important. What are the two most important words in a marriage? Anyone? I'll say yes, dear. Those are good also. How high? A good too, yeah. How high, yeah. What else? Anyone? I'm sorry? I understand. I understand. Those are good also. By the way, the hardest words to say, the hardest words to say are what? You are right. No, you were right. It's not so hard. No, what's much harder than that? I was, I was, I wasn't right. I mean, I was, I was wrong. You know, they could knees stop buckling. Your jaw stops chattering. I was, I was wrong is the hardest word to say, but they're not the most important. The two most important words in a marriage are the words, that's strange. That's strange. Every scientific discovery was preceded by those words. 
Every single scientific discovery was discovering because a fellow mixed chemical X and chemical Y expected Z, but instead got A, and suddenly discovered a different type of rubber. And that's how microwaves were discovered. That's how penicillin was discovered. Every scientific discovery was preceded by the words, that's strange. And you know why it's the most important words in your marriage? The next time your wife does something that's inexplicable, that makes no sense whatsoever, say the words, that's strange, to yourself. Don't say it to yourself. (laughs) Say to yourself, that's strange. Because when you say the words, that's strange, you're able to stop apply curiosity and try to figure out why did my spouse do that ladies the next time your husband does something that's cruel callous and downright mean say the words that's strange why would he's a nice guy why would he do that and when you say the words that's strange what you're able to do is climb into his emotional world figure out why he did it what it meant to him and what caused him to do it And when you do that, you bridge that divide. The single most difficult part of marriage is understanding what my spouse is experiencing, understanding their reality, and not being dismissive. Oh, women. (laughs) Oh, men. Who could understand them? If you're going to have that attitude, you're going to have a difficult time being married successfully. And this is mistake number eight. We're up to the really dumb mistake number eight. And that is assuming that my experience defines reality. Really dumb mistake number two is not working on the love in the marriage. Really dumb mistake number three is not working on respect. We didn't do that one this evening, but you'll have to trust me on that one. But this mistake of not being able to get out of my own experience and not being able to climb into the world of my spouse is one of the most difficult ones and one of the ones that plagues most marriages in a very real way. Okay, we got one more mistake we're going to do this evening. Are you ready? Here we go. It's Yom Kippur, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. A woman comes home from shul, (coughs) enters her house, and in the living room sees her husband on the couch with a ham sandwich in one hand and a cigar in the other hand. He takes a puff on the cigar, takes a bite out of the ham sandwich. What does she do? She does what any self-respecting woman does. Might she put that down right now? It's Jim Kipper. Ham. Smoking. What's wrong with you? Put that down right now. Now, I don't have to tell you that what he's doing is wrong. It's Jim Kipper. Okay. But I'd like to share with you what she did is also not right. You see, when you get married, there's a certain relationship. You are Reim Ahuvim. Rashi explains what that means. Best friends who love each other. Friends do not boss friends around. Friends do not demand. Friends do not put down ultimatums. Friends don't point fingers. Friends are friends. And what she did was she violated the rules of friendship. You see, she may have a choice to make. This marriage may not be what she contracted for, and she may have to leave it. But as long as she's in this marriage, you're Reim Ahuvim, best friends who love each other. Friends are not mentors, bosses, teachers, or rebbies. Friends are friends. And friends don't have veto power. Friends don't have a right to say, put that down now because I said so. You bounced another check, I'm cutting off your, the line. You're not getting any more money. Friends act like friends. And many times, good people make a really dumb mistake. They forget that they're friends. And if you stop acting like friends in a relationship, even if you're right, you're going to have a very rough marriage because you violated the terms of the relationship. 
the terms of the relationship are best friends who love each other. And the friends act like friends. Friends take care of each other. Friends may have difficulty. And I may not be happy with that behavior or that action, but that doesn't give me a right to boss my friend around, doesn't give me a right to tell him what to do. And this, I believe, is one of the most, of the ten really dumb mistakes. This is number nine, where they stop acting like friends and they start acting in a very different way. I think this Rashi shares with us a tremendous yesod. Rashi says, Ezek Kenegdu. What does that mean? Ezek Kenegdu, if their marriage is successful, she'll be a helpmate. If not, it's Kenegdu Lelachem, it'll be war. Marriage is either the closest relationship or it's bitter strife. But why? Because the morale explains why. They're equals, equal partners with different roles. No one's the boss. No one's in charge. My way or the highway. I'm the autocrat. I have veto power. That works if you have employees. Maybe it works with children. I don't think it does, but maybe. But one thing for sure, in a marriage, it's not the relationship. Your best friends that love each other, more than anything, you're schooling, you're equal. Equal partners with different roles. But, as the moral explains, you're opposite. And because you're opposite, you have to learn your spouse. You have to learn what the relationship needs. You have to learn what a good marriage is about. And you have to not make the ten really dumb mistakes that very small couples make. One of the biggest mistakes is not working on the love in the marriage. The love in the marriage means all of the things that a couple in love have to do. We didn't spend that much time this evening on it. We reviewed last week's year. But that means the love notes and the gifts and the going out and the vacations and all the things that a couple in love should be doing. That is one of the most vital ingredients of successful marriage because love is the glue in the marriage. But as the Rambam explains to us, each has a role to play. He has a part to play, and she has a part to play. His part is he has to treat her with more respect than he does himself, and he has to love her as, as he does himself. She, for her part, has to treat him with exceeding amounts of respect. Why did the Rambam give her a mitzvah of loving her husband? Doesn't she have to love her husband? The answer is it's instinctive to a woman. If her needs are met, if she's satisfied, if she knows this one principle, my husband cherishes me, my husband loves me, she'll naturally love her husband. Her natural love will flow, and they will be happy. The problem is that women are insecure about their husband's love for the first 30 or 40 years of the marriage, and a husband's role is to constantly romance his wife, constantly let her know it again and again and again. And ladies, you also have to recognize that he doesn't have the same need in the relationship. And you have to recognize that he might love you. He might do anything for you. He slaves away for you. And if he works hard, he's doing it for you. And you have to recognize that and appreciate that. <laughs> really dumb mistake number six is not understanding that talk means something different for men than for women. Women bond through talking. They connect. When you hear women going, ba, 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 oh, oh, and oh, it's because they're sharing, they're connecting. A husband has to know that, and a wife has to know that. You each have to know that you use talk for different things, and if your husband doesn't speak as much as you like to, you could coach him, you could help him. Remember to keep your girlfriends, and gentlemen, remember to talk to your wife. But this last mistake of not being able to climb out of my own world, not being able to remember that my experience doesn't define reality. My experience is the way I experience things, and it doesn't mean my spouse experiences it. And therefore, the most important words in marriage are the words that strange. When your spouse does something that's really inexplicable, you say to yourself the words that strange, and you open yourself up to understand your spouse's inner world. And I want to close with one last observation. We all know the Gemara 
but the Zohar says you learned the Gemara incorrectly. And the Gemara says 40 days before the Vlad is born, Hashem says, Bito Shoploni Leploni, the daughter and so and so to so and so. So when you learned that Gemara as a young child, I'm sure what you learned it meant like this. Hashem looks through all the millions and millions of potential neshamas and says, ah, this one, this is the perfect match for you, a perfect match. And Hashem searches through all of them and makes the perfect match. The Rishis Chochma brings a Zohar that says that's not pshat. It's not what the Gemara is saying. It's not that Hashem searches through the millions and millions of neshamas and finds the right corresponding neshama. You begin as one neshama. Hashem splits you up, puts you into the world. And when Hashem puts you into this house, puts her into that house, your job is then to find your spouse and then live together in peace and harmony. But you began as one neshama. Your goal in this world is to regain that connection, regain that bond. But what that means in plain, simple language is you're going to be before you were together, in this world you're together, in the world to come you're together. So, if anyone here thinks that their spouse is going to Gehenim, I've got some bad news for you, because you're together in the world to come. You were together once, you're together in this world, and you're together in the world to come. But that's the point. You're perfectly suited for each other, because you're two halves of a whole. The great secret is learning how to live together in peace and harmony, learning the different genders, learning what the relationship needs, and learning to understand my spouse, and learning to create a perfect marriage. Now, at this point, what I'd like to ask you to do is to take this card. And on the back of this card, to write down your questions. You can write down the questions. Someone's going to come to collect them. And while you're doing that, I'm going to make a few announcements. And announcement number one is, if you haven't gotten a chance to read the 10 really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make, copies are available for sale. If, um, if you're watching on tour anytime, you can go to the schmooze.com and you can get the copies. If you get them on schmooze.com, you also have an advantage. You get the ebook, the audio book, and the Marriage Transformation Bootcamp free of charge. You don't get a special discount of getting it here, but, uh, but you do get the audiobook, ebook, and Marriage Transformation Bootcamp if you go to schmooze.com, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com. But here is the exciting revelation. I showed this last week, but now I have the actual ones. Um, I am a little bit cynical. I learned in yeshiva many years. I'm a little bit cynical. You know what a cynic means? I wrote a book. I spent months, months, years, years, the book itself took me probably eight months writing each word again and again <clears throat> rabbi asked me did I write it myself I wrote every word myself and I, when the editor made the slightest change I debated it I, I, I harvested on this book and on a regular basis I get people to say to me Rabbi Schaefer it's a great book I say oh yeah what page are you up to page 50 how long have you had it three months I had a guy say to me like this Rabbi Schaefer it's a great book I said what page are you up to page 10 there's a table of contents. There are scummers. It starts on page 12. So I realize that if you're 30 or younger, you're illiterate. Either you have ADHD out the window and you can't read, or you're partially illiterate. So I gave up. I said, okay, the generation doesn't read. So I came up with a video book. What's a video book? I took the essence of the book, and I made three-minute videos, animated videos, 51 of them. It's three and a half hours of content, and I put it into a video book. Now, you've never seen a video book before. I know this because I'm patenting it, and if you think I'm kidding, I'm not kidding at all. There's a fellow who helps out the schmooze. as a trademark attorney, and he's patenting it. A video book means it's, you open it, and it plays the video. I forgot, I forgot the, I forgot the story, but I didn't remind you. 
These are animated videos. There, there are 51 of them, three minutes long, and it plays. And by the way, the best part is when you close it, he shuts up. I mean, he's quiet. But you open. The problem is when you open it again, he he jabbers again. There he goes again. I think she said. What? He continues where he left off. No matter where you, if you space out, he doesn't. He goes right back to the book. Isn't that cool? And it's really, and by the way, the animations are great. How do you, yeah, one second, here's the challenge. How do you animate things in its neatest manner? Any animator in the United States of America cannot draw a woman's sneeze. He can't, no matter what you pay him, I can't explain it to him. I found a Pakistani team. And I met with the head, head this is not a joke, Guzman. I met with the team leader over Zoom, and I knew that this was my team. The team leader was a Muslim woman, neckline up to here, sleeves down to here. I said, just draw the women like they do in the Haim, you know, by you. And it's per, everyone that's super sneers, and it's great, the dresses along, the sleeves along, and, and the animated fun. It's high drama. Look at that, along the dresses is along. In any case, for the illiterate ADHDs and etc., the video books are available. I now have 200 copies in. Last I announced it last week, but I now the actual the DHL delivered. I have 200 copies. If you'd like to purchase them, they're available at 39.95 each, which, by the way, is a pretty discounted price. Um, if you'd like to get them, if you're watching on Twitter anytime, you have to go to schmooze.com. You click on, you'll see over there. There's a place to click. If you're here, you can actually purchase it. And you, there's Venmo or PayPal or whatever you can see on the bottom of that sign over there. Um, Who's playing that? Oh, wow. How'd you get that? I don't know. Okay. Oh, man. Somebody got it already. No. Emotional intelligence. Don't forget. Communication. Got it. Got it. I, I listen to a lot of it on TikTok. So. Uh, TikTok. I should be rocking. 60 seconds. 60 seconds. 60 seconds. I spoke for an hour. You want me to do it in 60 seconds? That's strange. We're done. No, 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 no. They're just... Little snippets of video. Little snippets. So I got little snippets. I did three minutes. I, I was proud of myself. Three minutes. Okay, in any case, let's take questions. Someone go around, please. Robbie around. Can someone bring forward the questions? And now we have enough time to... Well, you got to write the questions down. I'm going to read them. Okay. So write the questions down. If you have someone... Where'd Robbie go? Robbie? Robbie left us. Just when we need him. If someone... One of the ladies could go around and just bring forward the questions. And uh, gentlemen, if someone could come around and collect the questions... <clears throat> Thank you. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna do any order, but I'm gonna try. Um, <clears throat> ah, excellent question. If husband and wife are one neshama, why are there so many divorces? <sighs> you know what the answer is because people don't know how to be married. First of all, people don't know how to give. People don't know how to. <clears throat> the most difficult thing in a marriage is to say, "I want to do something, but my spouse doesn't want it." Or my spouse wants to do something and I don't want it, and I'm going to do it for one reason, because my spouse wants to. And being able to be mavata, being able to give in, being able to give up, and being able to do something for somebody else is a huge, great, gross active. By the way, Lov Tove Yosa Adam Levado, Hatter of Zaman Saraskin, Say Pshat the Puskis, it's not good for man to be alone because you can't learn to give. Learning to give means when it's difficult, when it's hard, learning to, excuse my expression, shut your mouth when you're not supposed to say something, learning what to say and how to say, and learning what's important to my spouse and not saying the wrong things. The reason why there's so many divorces, I believe, is because so many people don't know how to... Um, to um, and, uh, how, does, how does the Zohar reconcile those that unfortunately don't get married? 
So I will be honest with you here also. Um, you are quite capable of blowing your Bashert. You're quite capable of not marrying your Bashert. In other words, um, Hashem does not take away Bechira. Hashem does not handcuff a person to a certain outcome. And Hashem doesn't say, by the way, when Hashem says, Bito, Shaploni, Ploni, it doesn't mean it's going to happen. It means it's good, it's available. You know what I'm talking about? Watch this. <laughs> what happens in Rosh Hashanah? Exact amount of money you're going to make that year is set, right? So imagine it's Rosh Hashanah, and I'm in shul dominating, and all of a sudden I hear a boss call, Shafer, whoa, 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 I would send for Shafer, yeah, whoa, whoa, this year you're going to make $10 million, whoa, $10 million bucks. I leave shul happy as a lark, quit my day job, don't even look at the stocks, I'm good to go. What's going to happen? Most likely I'm going to go hungry. But Hashem said $10 million. When Hashem decrees that you can make $10 million this year, it doesn't mean it has to happen. This is what's good. This is what's available. But you have to do your part. To earn a living, you've got to get a job. To get married, you have to go out. And you have to say yes when it's the right one. And I can't tell you how many times I talk to singles, and I can tell exactly where they messed up. <laughs> and a guy say to me, I needed somebody with lush hair. He dropped a girl. It was great. But I need somebody with lush hair. First of all, she's going to cover the hair. But more than that, that's what you need? So I, I can't answer it. Uh, is there only one Bashar? The answer is no. There's more than one Bashar. So if you missed the first time, you can get the second. And even if you got divorced, it doesn't mean it's the end of the world because there's second Bashar and third Zivugim, etc., etc., etc. Okay. Is there one scenario which you, where your wife is talking to you, and you're pretending to listen while you yourself are just spacing, tired, hungry, and think, I wonder if my wife is not going to let me eat four slices of Bravo's pizza tonight. I'm starving here. Okay. Um, that's a difficult one to answer. I suggest that you eat before you come home. Don't be a dummy. If you know that your wife is going to eat something before you come home, but uh, what can I tell you? If you're Pretending to listen, I have a secret to tell you. I'm going to guess that your wife is bright enough to know that you're pretending. Right? Yeah. Don't pretend. You better listen. But it's boring! You better learn that it's not boring. You know why it's not boring? Because to her, it really matters. To her, it's important. And ladies, listen carefully. When your husband tells you... Oh, one second. This is amazing. My parents... I only realized this after the fact. My wife once said to me, my parents used to talk politics often. My, my father was born in Berlin. He lived through World War II. Perhaps he didn't live through the camps, but he, what was happening in the world was very important to him. In any case, raise your hand if you have ADD. ADHD. I'm not hyperactive anymore. I used to be. I grew out of that. But okay. Anyway, one second. So my parents used to talk politics often. One time my wife said to me, you know, your mother has no interest whatsoever in talking about that stuff. I said, what do you mean? She talks all the time. Since I'm a kid, she talks to my father about politics. My wife said, she doesn't care. I said, so why does she do it? Because it's important to your father. And I realized she was right. My mother had no interest whatsoever in politics, but it was important to my father, so she used to be into it, and she had opinions, and she'd argue back and forth because it was important to him. So ladies, what am I saying? You have to climb into your husband's world. Gentlemen, you have to climb into your wife's world. It matters to them. And if it matters to them, it's important. And oftentimes listening and just being there is a huge, huge thing. Okay, is it possible to pass up your Zivic? The answer is yes. Don't try that one. 
Okay. You mentioned women talk more than men. In my relationship, my man talks a lot, and sometimes I want to talk. How can you balance that more? Okay, now let's not laugh. That's a very important point. That's something you discuss. That's something you have to talk about, and you have to be very candid, and you have to be open. Now, you have to be very sensitive, because people are people, and no one likes to be, you know... But but it's important to, to be open, and it's important to let your spouse know. Um, and I have a feeling... I have a feeling you're not married that long. That's what I'm going to guess by this question. But that's my guess. But more than anything, husbands and wife have to learn to communicate. These are my needs. These are, and by the way, if your husband needs to talk, so it's a big mitzvah to listen to him. And on the other hand, if your wife feels that she's not able to talk, it's a big mitzvah to listen to her. So I don't know if I answered that question. But um, um, is it possible for some men to speak, talk for the same reason as women do? Absolutely. Every single generalization that I said this evening is a generalization. That means most of the time it's true, but not always. There are men who speak more than women. There are men who speak for reasons more, you know, more to connect and share than women do. Generally speaking, it's women who speak to bond and connect. Guys speak to share information. Not always. And every generalization is just that. If it's different in your marriage, it's great. Um, is it possible for some men to value the same things, feeling love, communication, as women? The answer is yes, but usually that means that probably the husband is, there's some insecurity there. <clears throat> Generally speaking, if a husband is secure, unless there's emotional insecurity, emotional uh, self-esteem, if he has a healthy self-esteem, typically he doesn't need that sort of assurance and doesn't need the love from a woman. The exception is only if he's feeling insecure, if he has a damaged self-image, damaged self-esteem, then he needs it, but then he shouldn't be looking for a spouse to get it from because that's not love he's looking for. He's looking for bolstering the self-image, and it's not a good thing to look for in a marriage. Um, okay. Ladies, any questions? Somebody bring the questions to the ladies, please. I'm sorry? Oh, no, could someone go? I can't move too far because I'm glued. I'm tied over here. Um, okay, could someone go Could someone go around just to... Here he did. He put them up there. Oh, I missed them. One second. Um, up there, the top. On the top? One second. Um, let me go through. One second. You notice no one asked, how do I change my spouse? That was last week's topic. By the way, I love that last week. Yeah. Okay. Um. Okay. Um, just one second. Um. Who's Oh, I love this question. This is an excellent question. Who's in charge of the household like kids and finance? Who's in charge? The answer is no one is in charge. The boss is in charge. The leader is in charge. The father is the head of the children. But you are best friends who love each other, equal partners, different roles. And the minute you feel you're the boss, and by the way, I want you to be honest over here, it's problematic when men feel they're in charge. I'm the boss. But it's much more common when women act like the boss. I've seen this all the time. They boss their husbands around. They tell them what to do, what he can spend on, what he can do, what tie to wear, what shoes to wear, what where to go. And like, lady, will you be nice? And she can be a very nice person. 
except her husband, because she's responsible for his. And so the answer, and if you want to know who's the boss, the answer is there's no bosses. This is a equal partners in this thing called marriage. Um, okay, I'm very... I can't read the handwriting. Um, sorry. Okay, how would you recommend to navigate a long-distance dating relationship? Um, that one is, my recommendation is move. Um, long-distance dating relationships are very difficult because it's you, you have to spend time together. Um, Okay, here's the question. Very good. I'm happy someone asked this question. I want you guys, and Mitzvah Shem, you're going to listen to last week's um, recording, and then you're going to laugh when I read this question. Remember to laugh. Remember when you listened to last week's, to laugh. Here's the question. <clears throat> what, if my, what about if my spouse does not want to change or work on themselves? Okay, now, when you listen to last week's thing, you're going to go, ha, <laughs> Didn't the rabbi say 50,000 times, don't change your spouse, don't change your spouse, it doesn't work, it's only going to wreck the relationship, don't change your spouse, don't change your spouse, don't change your spouse. But what if I change him nicely? No, don't do it. What if I change him with positive reinforcement? No, don't do it. What if I change him with consequences? No, don't do it. It never works. It wrecks the relationship. He never changes. She never changes. Don't do it. So when you get to listen to last week, you're going to hear this question and you're going to go, ha, ha, ha. That's what I was laughing about. Okay. So, but, um, but the answer is don't do it. But do you understand why you don't do it? Because it doesn't work. It really, really doesn't. Okay. Ah, here we go. <clears throat> How do you limit your wife's shopping when she likes to shop online and browse items for fun? How do you limit? So you stomp down your foot and you say, I'm in charge over here. You will stop that behavior right now. And then you find yourself a new wife. <laughs> so um, I, I think I, I hope I made this one point very clearly. Who is in charge in the marriage? Nobody. No one. You're equal partners. Now, as partners, you have to negotiate things. Now, there are limited resources. We have limited amount of time, limited amount of money, limited amount of patience. And as friends, we have to figure out a way to work things out. Now, when you say, how do I stop my wife's, how do I limit my wife's spending, what you mean is she's spending money on things that are just not important to you. Not important to you, but important to her. Now listen, there's a budget and there are limits, and you have to sit down as partners and work out a budget, and a budget is a very important thing. But at the end of the day, there are going to be competing needs and competing desires. Do we spend money here? Do we spend money there? Do we spend money on this? Or do we spend on that? And the reason it's so difficult is because my wife is so unreasonable. She wants to waste money on things that are just not important, like clothing. Guys, anyone here really deeply care about their clothing? Okay, one guy's not. Okay. Ladies, anybody here deeply care about their clothing? Yeah. yeah. Okay, but why? Why? Because men and women are different. So if you're not going to understand that your spouse is different, then you're going to have a tough time. So the answer to the question is you have to each understand each other's needs. You have to set budgets, but you also have to recognize that just because it's not important to me doesn't mean it's not important to my spouse. Now, again, you have to live within your budget, and you do have to figure out things. And if you're going to spend money on X, it means you're not going to have money to spend on Y. But you have to figure that out, and eventually you find a pshara, you find a midpoint where life is sweet and life is wonderful. Okay, so one more time. If you would like the audiobook, ebook, 
and the marriage transformation boot camp. If you go to shoes.com, you can get the ten with the mistake. If you like, you can buy a copy here. You get here the discount. And if you really would like the audio book, you can send me an email. Email, I'll send it to you. Also, if you'd like the video book, very, very cool. This is one of the coolest things I've seen uh, in a long time. And it makes a great gift if you have any friends. Anyone with friends? Okay, your friends, good. Buy them, buy them all video books. And all, then you'll have even more friends. The women have their friends. Women, women, you have to <laughs> buy them all video books. No, they're really, there are a few. I have 15 here, so you better hurry up if you want them. Okay. Um, is there a balance between the amount of effective communication the wife should receive from the husband and the wife herself back? And as in, in counter question to changing your spouse, trying to change, get them to work on themselves, can you influence them by doing? Using emotional intelligence, the effective communication. <laughs> well, it is. I did in the videos. They say it's possible. Wrong. 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 Emotional intelligence one-on-one. Don't change a spouse. It doesn't work. Don't change a spouse. It fails. Don't change a spouse. It wrecks the relationship. That's emotional intelligence one-on-one. Emotional intelligence one yeah, Am I wrong? Wait. How many years have you been married? Can't you? One How many years have you been married? I haven't been married. Oh, so thank, thank you very much. Can I ask another question? Wait, one thing. Can I say one thing? I was walking with a fellow Friday night. Um, he follows me out after uh, speaking of unshown bias, and he asked me the following question. He says, Rabbi Shiv, you said you should give in 50% of the time. Why don't you say that you should be mavater everything? If each party is totally mavater all the time, they give in all the way, then you'll have perfect shalom bias. I said to him, you're single, right? He said, how do you know? I said, because you're married, you never say that. So these are one of the things that if you're not married, you can have opinions. But the, you see, I'll, I'll be very candid. I knew everything there was to know about marriage. And then I got married. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, and, and it's, uh, I'll give you two openings, two openings to, to chill. No, we're still going to go for it. Go ahead. Go uh, for the qu- counter question. Yes. As opposed, as her influencing, maybe what about just, uh, you know, influencing them through your actions? Like, if, <clears throat> let's say monkey see, monkey do. If you, if you uh, do something, if you set a good example or a precedent, it's up to her to actually follow you. If she doesn't want to do it, you keep setting those precedents for yourself, and eventually she might yeah. turn another leaf. Right. I'm not saying force the change. I'm saying be the change. Be the change. Be the change. It's, that's that's, it's very. It's it's beautiful. It's beautiful. That's but, That's my question to you. So okay. You know it, that's beautiful, and I, I, I and I, I I like that. I like the idea. It's not going to work. But it sounds good. <laughs> By the way, you wanted to. There is one way to change. I have one way. It's it's one of these cool videos. There is one way to change. I'll give you a muscle, and you'll understand what the muscle is. A guy finds himself locked in a room. Locked. There's no windows, no doors, nothing. He sees he can't get out. There's no food. He's like, oh my goodness. He, he sees there's one door. He rushes at the door. Boom. Doesn't go. Bang. Kicks. He can't get out. There's no windows. All there's one door. This only door is the only way out. He crashes. He smashes. He kicks. He doesn't get out. He runs full speed at it. He realizes he's going to be stuck here forever. He finally says, oh my goodness, maybe I haven't pushed hard enough. He gets ready, seals himself, runs full speed at the door, smash! He doesn't go anywhere. He falls to the ground, and he sees the word, pull. 
The door doesn't open outwards, it opens inwards, and he realizes it's a If you want to change your spouse, there's only one way to do it. You embrace your spouse as they are. You accept them fully and completely love them, and then there's a chance that they might change. But only if you embrace your spouse exactly as they are, then there's a chance they might change. The minute you push, it's not going to work. If you pull back and embrace them and accept them, you let your spouse know, I accept you, I, there's nothing I would change in you at all. Then there's a possibility, they, and it's not a guarantee they'll change, but there's a possibility. Anything else? Try it at home. Don't try it. Yes? Yeah, question. Thank you. Are you married? No. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay, good. These are two very good questions. How do I how do I know who my ideal partner is? And doesn't it change as we develop and grow as people? Shouldn't I push off getting married till I'm a better version of myself? Okay. So here's how it works. First of all, there's a very good book I recommend called Finding and Keeping Your Soulmate. Finding and Keeping Your Soulmate is available on Amazon. It's um, it's a schmooze book. Um, it's also um, it's uh, in any case um, there are two ways. What we're really looking for is what I call the paper test and the Bashar test. Paper test is you see on paper are you guys looking for the same thing? On paper meaning you're looking to raise the kids the same way, have the same kind of house. Are you looking for in broad brush strokes? Are you looking to you know bring up the same kind of family? That's the paper test. And then you take the Bashar test. The Bashar test is you see, do I enjoy our company? Does the dates go well? Do it just, I, I look forward to the date. It just feels right. It's not mad, passionate love. It's not like, woo. It just it feels comfortable. It feels right. I can't tell you how many times I heard my Rebbe or Shoes itself say these words. Do you enjoy our company? And Do you look forward to the dates? That's the definition of one thing. Hashem gave you an intuition to know who the right person is. How do you know? It's just a sense that it's the right one. But it's not that she's tall or fat or short or skinny or blonde hair or brown hair, intelligent, extroverted, introverted. It's just a natural intuition. It just feels right. You know what I'm saying? Now, at that point, you say these words. She passed the paper test. She passed the Bashar test. Now I know that Hashem has delivered the right one to me. But maybe she's not the one I would have chosen. You're right. Maybe she's not the way I would have made it. But Hashem knows better than I what I need, and Hashem has chosen the right one for me. Finding and keeping a soulmate. I'm telling you, it's a very good book. Yeah. I'm not looking into the book, but yeah. hypothetically, who's to say that you can't do that with another person and they will meet the same criteria? So how do you know that that one is the ideal version as opposed to the one that's coming down the line? Right. And the one that's coming down, you could do better. Let, listen to last week's share. I could do better. That one I, I addressed, I could do better. But finding and keeping a soulmate, I'm t- it's a very good, I highly recommend the book. Okay. Okay, ladies. I'm sorry? What about the part two? Oh, part two. Um, should I push for getting married until I'm a better version of myself? So, what about if you're not going to be the perfect version of yourself until you're 85? Well, there's always getting better. Not right. So, the, the bigger question to me is are you capable of sustaining a relationship? If you're mature enough to be able to put off your immediate gratification, if you're mature enough to, to allow another human being into your world, you're mature enough to maintain a relationship, you're mature enough to get married. You're never going to be the perfect version of yourself because we're here to grow and continue to grow. And when you're 85 also, it's a shame you'll still have growth. To, so if you're going to wait till you're the perfect version of you, you're going to be, you know, at 90, you know, she's going to be, she's going to be an old lady. You know, she's 88. Want to marry an 88-year-old? No, I don't think so. <laughs> you got it. 
All right, thank you very much. The book's in the back of the video book. I thank you much. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.